Hello. Uh, it's February 4th, 2022. <clears throat> and I apologize if you hear any, uh, uh, I guess like an engine in the background, like a faint engine. Um, cause everyone on my street is out snow blowing right now. Um, yeah. So, um, a few things to talk about, and I'm just going to skip over the fact that I haven't recorded in like a month. Um, I guess it's not as bad as the two month break that I took, but still not good. But, you know, back in school and trying to prioritize getting all that stuff done because paying to go to school might as well do well. So um, a few things not controversial or hot button at all that I wanted to talk about. Um, in Tennessee, the there's a school board that banned the book Mouse or the comic book Mouse, um, which if you don't know what it is, I'll go into it in a minute. Um, saw something yesterday about a bill that they were trying to pass in Iowa um, that would allow cameras to be like in classrooms that would stream online so parents could watch what the teachers teach and I don't know, get them fired if they teach stuff they don't like. Um, and then the whole Spotify, uh, Joe Rogan, Neil Young thing. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing sensitive at all. So start with the mouse book. Uh, first of all, the whole aftermath of them banning this, uh, I guess, resulted in a 753% uh, sales increase when this uh, Tennessee school district banned it. Um, I'm also seeing here from the Smithsonian that um, it soared to the top of bestseller charts. Let me try to find... Uh, eh, NPR, whatever. Why a school board's ban on mouse may put the book in the hands of more readers. Uh, Tennessee school district's controversial ban on the Holocaust, gra Holocaust graphic novel Mouse appears to be spurred efforts, appears to have, you tell I haven't read out loud in a while, uh, spurred efforts to get copies into the hands of more readers nationwide. News of the McKinn County School Board's unanimous vote to remove Mouse from its curriculum and replace it with something else earlier this month made headlines last week as the world was preparing to mark International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, the Pulitzer Prize-winning book tells the story of how Art Spiegelman's relationship with his father, a Holocaust survivor, by depicting Jews as mice and Nazis as cats, the school board reportedly objected to eight curse words and nude imagery of a woman used in the depiction of a the author's mother's suicide. Spiegelman told NPR and WBUR's Here and Now that this board's decision is, quote, not good for children, even if they think it is. Um, and it's, I, I really don't. A while back when I was reading the Bible on here and kind of like talking about it, the one thing that I noticed really early on was that there was like an obsession with God going around and telling people that they had to, uh, circumcise themselves or else he wasn't going to fuck with them. Um, like he would just, someone would be in like a field and he would come to them and be like, you need to chop the end of that thing off 
or else I'm not going to, you know, do whatever for you. Um, and that's all okay. But somehow a depiction of, I mean, because Mouse was really written, I read it in school. Um, it, it was written to kind of teach kind of like teenagers a more, I guess, slightly friendlier way of saying like, this is kind of what happened. This is what people went through. Um, and, you know, being that like all the weird stuff that Republican, Democrat, whoever have, have said about the Holocaust, just whatever really bad takes they've had, um, you have to wonder if it's, are they really doing this because of curse words and nude imagery or are they doing it because of some sort of uh, weird political skew that they have on what they think the Holocaust was compared to what it actually was. Um, yeah. I mean, they want the, uh, the M and M's to be sexy and they want Minnie Mouse to not wear a pantsuit. But if they have nude imagery of a woman in a, I mean, I, I guess you could technically say it's a nonfiction book. Um, then all of a sudden it's a problem. And I remember a while back too, uh, a couple months ago when I was talking about the book ban in Texas where they were trying to scrap stuff that had any reference for LGBTQ plus stuff, um, drugs, sex, nudity, uh, language, just, I mean, really kind of basic stuff, um, stuff that's not problematic at all. Um, but and it's weird too, because like it, you know, whenever you hear about this, it's like people don't really know what the books are. You know, the people that are trying to get rid of them, it's like a it, you don't read, you don't know what's in it. Um, and mind you, and this has always been my take on this: is the folks that are politically on the side of yes, we should ban these books, are also the crowd of folks that you know, during the, the COVID, um, I mean, not during, but right now with the mandates and the, um, mask mandates and the vaccines and the, them, you know, shutting people's stuff off on, uh, YouTube, Spotify, whatever, for having misinformation, deleting people off of Twitter because they're always promoting misinformation. Um, they're the ones that are always saying that things are 1984. Um, but then they go and get rid of books, which in the book, 1984, books weren't really allowed unless they were like approved. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure for the most part that uh, any anyone caught reading a book would be kind of thought of as like a free thinker that thought outside of the realm of whatever the, you know, the big brother wanted them to think. Um, and, and that put you on like a fast track of getting executed. Um, that's actually what the, well, no, in the book, at least in the movie, I believe um, the main character got caught um, for having sex with someone he wasn't married with. He wasn't married, but got caught and was having sex with someone. So they're like, ah, you can't do that. Cause we said so, but he also had a journal. Um, 
and he had said many times through the book, like, you know, if I write in this and they see it or they find out or whatever, they'll kill me just because that there would be thoughts in here that are original to myself and not to what I'm told to think. I mean, kind of the same thing that they're doing here with books. It's like, you can't read it. If you do, um, you know, say we'll kick you out of school or if a teacher is okay with you reading it, then we'll fire the teacher. It's, I mean, they're not going around killing people, but they're basically saying you can't read this book that is relevant and has historical context that kids at that age where they can read that book should know about. And it's weird too. Cause like kids in high school, which is the time that you read this book, usually they're already having sex anyways, for the most part. So to get rid of a book because it has nude imagery in it, it's like you see worse shit on their smartphones. So it's kind of nonsensical. Um, let me go back and see if there's anything else. Mm. And I mean, go figure Tennessee too. Um, yeah. Comic book owner, comic book store owners are offering to ship banned Holocaust novel mouse to Tennessee students for free. And this kind of just goes along with the whole, um, thing with the, um, like the, the, the school boards and the parents really thinking that they have like this giant, um, you know, voice in what their kids get taught. Um, and if certain states are going to do this, then, I mean, it's kind of just, I, I don't know where Tennessee is ranked in education, but I'm, I'm guessing they're not really close to the top of the list. Um, Tennessee rank in education. There we go. Um, why does it do this? Wow. State spends about $11,139 per student, ranking 44th out of 51 states in the District of Columbia. Um, for pre-K, they're ranked 31st. Higher ed, they're ranked 29th. So, I mean, they're not doing too good. Um, yeah. And it makes sense too. Cause it's like, you know, if this is what your priorities are in an educational setting, um, you kind of have to by default, lower your standards because if you're going to withdraw information and content like that, um, you know, th there's gotta be other bad decisions that come along with it. Um, I do remember reading it. I think there was a second book too. Um, was there? Mouse to a survivor's tale. Yeah, there was. And here my troubles began. Yeah. I mean, that's sad. And to think, too, like all the reasonable understanding, like they're reading the book to learn about the Holocaust in a way that's not like directly, you know, showing, saying what happened. It's a comic book with cats and mice 
and it's just supposed to tell the story. But yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's go to this one. Cause I haven't read anything about this yet. I only saw the headlines of it. Um, and I was flabbergasted. Um, what is all this? Okay. Let's see. Okay. And of course, Iowa Republican authors bill demanding. Uh, okay. Iowa Republican authors bill demanding cameras in every classroom in state. Damn. A Republican lawmaker in Iowa has proposed a bill that would require school districts in the state to install cameras in virtually every public school classroom. The bill, sponsored by state rep Norlin Momsen, has been criticized by teachers groups and union leaders for being an invasion of students and teachers' privacy. And again, folks always complaining about their privacy, invasion of their privacy. They don't want to get a vaccine because they think that there's some sort of microchip in it that gets activated when you turn your 5G phone on for the first time. Um, but it's okay to put a camera in a classroom because you want to see your children, um, not even see your children, but you want to make sure that the teacher isn't teaching them things that you think would taint their, uh, I don't know, their already tainted moral makeup based on whatever parent would be okay with something like this. Um, I mean, Sometimes when you board your dog, they they have like a camera so you can see your dog like playing with the other dogs. Um, but I mean, this is kind of just honestly, it's unheard of for obvious reasons. Um, the legislation represents yet another attempt by far right lawmakers to ban lessons on race, LGBTQ identities and social justice in schools. This time by monitoring teachers who may be engaging in discussions on such topics with their students. The bill would require cameras in all classrooms except physical education or special ed classes. Recordings would be live streamed and available for parents or guardians to watch on the internet at any time. The bill mandates that only parents or guardians can access the live streams, but let's be honest, we know that that wouldn't happen. It would get hacked or whatever, passwords passed out. But it doesn't contain language restricting parents from sharing the links with others. There we go. And does not impose punishment on parents if they choose to do so. However, the legislation would dole out punishments for teachers or administrators who don't install the video hardware or who otherwise impede parents from monitoring their children's classrooms at any moment. Um, school employees who don't comply with the measure would be fined, facing a deduction from their paycheck of up to 5% for each week that they don't abide by the rule. Does this sound like a utopia to you guys? Uh, conservative lawmakers throughout the U.S. have been introducing similar proposals in their own states. Of course. Earlier this year, a bill was proposed in Florida, obviously, that would allow each district in the state to decide whether they wanted to install cameras in classrooms. The bill would allow parents to access the video at any time so that they could investigate for themselves vaguely defined incidents involving teachers. Right-wing parents groups in Nevada, 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 whatever, uh, have pushed for similar surveillance measures in schools, even proposing that teachers be forced to wear body cameras in classrooms. Last year, Missouri State Senator Cindy O'Loughlin, Republican, also suggested that teachers should be recorded, claiming that cameras could serve as a tool to ensure that critical race theory isn't being taught in classrooms, which 
if they would read a little bit, they would know isn't taught in K-12 education. Um, but I believe that there's a, um, a mindset of the uh, illiterate population that critical race theory is anything that has to do with um, talking about anyone that isn't white is, I think, the most blunt way to put that. Um, Iowa State Education Association President Mike Baranek said that the bill is completely outrageous and dangerous. Thank you. In an email to NBC News, Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, similarly blasted the bill as being intrusive. Quote, some politicians around the country want to limit not only what history our kids can learn, but about what books they can read, censor the truth of our history in some cases. And now in Iowa, they want to install classroom cameras for live monitoring of teachers. Instead of wasting public funds on monitoring equipment, we should employ additional qualified professionals, reduce class sizes, and provide more programming that helps students acquire the skills they need. Educators also weighed in on the proposal on social media. Quote, cameras don't belong in classrooms, and it has little to do with teachers, but everything to do with the privacy of children, said Jess Piper, a literature teacher in Missouri and a Democratic candidate for the state legislator. No one has the right to hear my child's thoughts or view her face or body while she's trying to learn in a public classroom. That too. I mean, morals and ethics and common sense to the side, like kids got to basically be under the mindset that they're being streamed all day. Um, And yes, like a parent could see their kid, but some people are gross. You could see a whole classroom. It's kind of, you know, yeah, maybe someone wants to see their kid, but what if all the other parents don't want someone to see their children? But I mean, in that way, it's kind of like, what if everyone in the store is wearing a mask and there's one guy that's not, even though there's a sign outside that says that you have to? Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. No one has the right to hear my... Okay, I already read that. Uh, The Modest Teacher, a Twitter account that focuses on education issues, also weighed in on the privacy rights of students. Quote, imagine a student with anxiety sitting in a classroom with cameras, knowing that any moment a parent at home could watch and listen to their every move. Meanwhile, a teacher in California threatened to leave her job if a similar proposal was enacted in her state, which I wouldn't imagine that it would be because it is a blue state. Um, Just putting this out here, if classroom cameras come to California, I quit. Okay. Um, Yeah. Um, I think it's super fucked up. Um. And again, it's it's really just weird that whenever you see this stuff, um, everyone's name that proposes these kind of bills always has an R attached to them. Um, yeah. I mean, when Democrats start doing it, then I'll just kind of like, you know, throw my hands up and kind of just wave the white flag. But... Um, I think it's very, there was this other thing today I saw too when I was on Twitter. My phone's been acting up though. So right when I saw it, it closed off on me. Um, I think it was some sort of bill or some sort of vote. Let me, Republican vote to, where is it? Um, 
think it had something to do with, oh, wait a minute. Do, do, do. I'm thinking of another instance. I actually did, I believe, favorite this tweet from Brian Tyler Cohen. I just got to find it. Oh, here we go. Yep. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I know where it is. Come on, where is it? It was him, right? I'm going to find this tweet. Just hang in. Fuck. Where is it? Huh. Brian. Where is it? Mm. Come on, where is it? Huh. Why can't I find it? I know it was him that tweeted it. Okay. Um, is this it? No. What the hell? Okay. Um, so basically, they made a vote to... Um, Oh, they voted to declare the January 6th attack on the Capitol as legitimate political discourse. Um, oh, here it is. Republican Party officially declared the January 6th attack on the Capitol legitimate political discourse and censored two of its own members, Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, for investigating it. Um, yeah, so... There was that too. And the, uh, oh, whoa, I almost said the president. Uh, Trump also said that if he gets voted back in um, in 2024, that he would pardon anyone that was convicted of anything that they did on January 6th. Um, so, I mean, yeah, things are just looking up, really. Oh, we're so fucked. Um, on a slightly lighter note, um, I, I don't know. Um, I've been seeing a lot about this and he went on, um, he went on to his, um, Instagram and made like a, I guess like a 10 minute video of um just kind of him like trying to explain himself which i think was just choppy um even though i didn't see it i saw some clips and i was just like ah okay like whatever um so joe rogan who is exclusively on spotify now with his podcast 
has been having a lot of people on that are quote experts um, and like doctors and stuff um, to talk about COVID and vaccines and mandates and all that stuff. Um, And I guess some musicians have been leaving Spotify because Spotify won't. I, okay. Kind of like ping pong right here. They, they won't. I believe that the desire is to have him removed from Spotify um, rather than just have those episodes removed or have the episodes like flagged as something that, you know, may have inaccurate information in them. Um, which is weird because there's a lot of podcasts like that. Um, I'm sure that at times I qualify if I fuck stuff up, um, maybe, you know, but he has such a large following, like tens of millions of people that it's pretty widespread because people literally go to his podcast for news. Like they treat his podcast like it's information. Um, I haven't listened to his show in a while because that's what I realized it was starting to turn into was just a place where people try to get information from. Um, and my preference was more when it was kind of entertaining and fun and fuck around and be goofy. But, um, ever since the move, like most recently, um, I guess some of the guests, I remember there was one guy I saw a picture of, he was like, he kind of looked like that silver Fox guy that you know, you always see in those ads that says like, this guy tells you that you need to sell all your stocks or whatever. Um, there was a, I think that guy, he was the same one that was like doing some like anti-vaccine mandate rally. Like he was speaking at it. Um, but it's weird because like, I remember early on with COVID, um, and I did listen to these episodes because they were very early in COVID, I think before he even moved to Spotify. Um, he had had some people on his show, and I think one or two of them is on um, the COVID response team that Biden had assembled. Um, and no one really complained about that one. And those guys like regularly show up to like CNN to talk about COVID stuff and new variants and everything. Um, and there was no complaint about that and whatever, but all these other, I guess, odd characters are, you know, causing quite a controversy, which is understandable because, you know, people apparently will literally ingest anything other than just getting a vaccine. Um, I don't know. So anyways, um, musicians are requesting that Spotify remove their music content um, from the platform. Um, And Neil Young, I think it was like two weeks ago, kind of gave Spotify an ultimatum saying, either you get rid of my stuff or you get rid of his stuff. Um, And obviously they kept Rogan's stuff because he brings them in way more money than Neil Young does, I imagine. No disrespect. Um, Okay, so just a quick quote from Jon Stewart, because I kind of like how Jon Stewart 
thinks. Um, there's no question that there is egregious misinformation that's purposeful and hateful and that is being moderated. And that being moderated is a credit to the platform that runs them, Stuart said. But this overreaction to Rogan, I think, is a mistake with people taking their stuff off Spotify. Because, I mean, there's plenty of other shows on Spotify that kind of do the same thing. They just don't have as big of a crowd. Um, I just, I mean, I, I wouldn't remove myself from Spotify. And I, I see that there's been like some mass exodus from people having memberships with Spotify. And it's just like, I mean, I I have Spotify. I've had Apple Music before. I prefer Spotify. I like the platform. Um, if you don't want to support the show, then just don't listen to it, you know. Um, once I started not liking the content, I stopped listening to it. Um, but to just like completely move off of it because of one thing, um, it's kind of ridiculous. That would have been like people saying that they would leave Twitter if, if Trump was still on there. It's like, okay, but he's still going to be there. I'm not comparing the two, but, um, I mean, I don't support the misinformation. Um, but I also don't support people just leaving the platform. It's kind of a weird, I'm not really in the middle because I don't really care. Um, but I it just, you know, scrolling through, seeing all the headlines and stuff and you see his face pop up, you're like, what the fuck did he do? Um, let's see. Here's an article from Complex about from this, about the CEO. Uh, Spotify CEO stands behind the way platform has dealt with Joe Rogan controversy. Oh my God, I got a lot of pop-ups on Complex. Spotify CEO Daniel Ack defended the streaming platform's position on the Joe Rogan controversy, though not publicly. During an earnings call Wednesday, Ack addressed the issue, which led Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and other artists to ask that their music be removed from Spotify due to Rogan spreading misinformation about COVID-19. In general, what I would say is it's too early to know what the impact may be per the New York Times. And usually when we've had controversies in the past, those are measured in months and not days. But I feel good about where we are in relation to that. And obviously, top line trends look very healthy still. Since the uproar, Spotify has introduced a content advisory for podcasts that discuss the virus. So I'm going to have a content advisory on this now. (laughs) Um, I think the important part here is that we don't change our policies based on the creator, nor do we change it based on any media cycle or calls from anyone else. Our policies have been carefully written within the input from numbers of internal and external experts in this space. And I do believe they're right for our platform. And while Joe has a massive audience, he is actually the number one podcast in more than 90 markets. He also has to abide by those policies. According to The Verge, uh, Eck took the call as an opportunity to reframe the narrative, explaining that Spotify is a platform that's in the business of distribution. He also said he doesn't view the streamer as Rogan's publisher, so Spotify doesn't assume an editorial responsibility for the Joe Rogan experience. Doesn't view the streamer as Rogan's publisher, even though they signed, I think it was a $100 million contract to get his show exclusive on Spotify. But okay, you're, you're not his publisher, sure. Um, I understand the premise that because we have an exclusive deal with him, it's really easy to conclude that we endorse every word he says and believe the opinions expressed by his guests. That That's absolutely not the case. We're defi- defining an entirely new space of tech and media. We're a very different kind of company 
and the rules of the road are being written as we innovate. He continued explaining that Spotify has no authority over Rogan's guests and the content of his episodes. A publisher has editorial control over a creator's content. Uh, They can take action on the content before it's even published. Just like any other creator, we get his content when he publishes. And when we review it, if it violates our policies, we take the appropriate enforcement actions. Elsewhere, Ack didn't defend Rogan's perspective, saying there are many things that Joe Rogan says that I strongly disagree with and find very offensive, and that a number of JRE episodes have been taken down from Spotify because they're in breach of the platform's rules. Um, like, I think, episodes with, like, Alex Jones, they're not up anymore for obvious reasons, um, even though they're comical to listen to and very entertaining. Um, there's people that believe a lot of stuff. Um and that's the thing too, with like such a mass cult following, um, is people will just kind of reject any other information that doesn't come from that source. Um, yeah, I think it's a shame because back in the day, just a few years ago, like it was fun to listen to. And yeah, there was a controversial guest once in a while, but I mean, usually it was just kind of fun to listen to. Um, yeah, I, I saw, um, I saw an article that was about, no, I was on Twitter about, um, most recently he had Jordan Peterson on and it was like four hours and I guess people were going crazy about that one. And I started listening to it because I was going to try to dissect it on here and I had to stop because almost right off the bat, um, Jordan Peterson was trying to like dissect the idea of what the word climate means, um, which just annoyed me because like he was saying that climate is another word for everything. And to talk about climate change is irrelevant because everything is always changing. Um, Even though if you say climate change to anyone, they'll say, oh, climate, like you're talking about like global warming. It's like, yeah, like, you know what you're talking about. You know what people are talking about when they say climate change. So to try to like be so, you know, by the book about what a word means um, just to kind of, you know, try to have like a unique thought on uh, an idea. It just annoyed me. Um, And so I stopped listening to it. Um, Where are we? One moment, folks. Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, so... The last thing I want to talk about is kind of funny. Um, It's got nothing to do with news. Well, not really. Um, Just some stuff that I've uh, noticed recently. Um, I think it's got to do with the weather. People just being inside too much, not really knowing what else to do and focus their energy on. But um, I saw a post that um, I guess just because of principle annoyed me the other day. Um, And I won't go fully into detail. Um, 
as to what the post was. But basically, um, what happened to give context was um, that a, a former, let me just, now nah, fuck it, I'll pull it up. Okay, so I guess a former um, Miss USA recently committed suicide. Um, Yeah, former Miss USA Chesley Christ died by suicide. Medical examiner says, okay. So um, I'm going to open this article because this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. So first of all, incredibly unfortunate um, and awful that no one really noticed any signs that she was depressed or going through things and they couldn't, um, you know, get her the help that she needed. Um, along with that, aside from the, the main issue, I noticed something really bothersome and it's kind of like twofold um that people on the internet were doing with this whole thing um so in my existence i had never heard of this lady and the first time i read about her was when i saw an article that a former miss usa had died um And it seems like when people do stuff on the internet now, it's not like anything for a memoriam or a remembrance or something out of respect. It's kind of just some weird, um, what was it? I think I said this to Pat when we recorded last time, but something about people trying to make stuff about them. Um, oh no, it was other than people kind of creating issues that they may not necessarily have kind of dramatizing their own, you know, situation. Um, there's also this weird empath thing that's been going on that I've been seeing way too much of. And it's very, very, Oh God, I don't want to use the word. Um, it's very, Oh man, I don't want to say it. I can't think of another word for it. Let me just look up a synonym for it so I don't need to actually say the word. Malignant, pestilential, pernicious, dangerous, destructive, harmful, unsafe. They don't do the job. Um, That is very toxic. Try to keep that one out of my vocab unless I'm using like a chemical or something that's actually toxic. Um, the, the whole empath thing is very, very toxic because one, it's annoying. And two, it's not about you. Um, every time someone dies now or something happens to someone, um, it, it seems like folks are just coming out of the woodwork saying that they feel what the person's going through and that they hurt for them. It's like, but they need to write like a whole book on the internet about it, about how someone else's pain is theirs. I had to call into work today. 
I couldn't handle the fact that blah, blah, blah happened to blah, blah, blah. Or I saw this one quite a bit and it really, you know, put a, put a dense pain in my chest. Um, someone literally said, as an empath, I understand exactly what you're feeling. Um, and that's just very, like, what does that do for someone that's going through something? You know, if, like, if you go to a funeral, you say, I'm sorry for your loss. If someone ever walked up to me, if I was at a funeral for a family member, and they walked up and said, as an empath, I can sense your pain, and I can feel and understand what you're going through. I don't know if they would leave the funeral home. Um, it, I mean, doesn't that sound very like egotistical, conceited kind of to you? No. Um, but th- this is the thing that I read that made me put my phone down for a few hours. Someone had shared an article about Chesley Christ's death, which again is awful. She was young. It's incredibly unfortunate that this stuff occurs in people's lives. Um, this person wrote a long post, and I, I shit you not. They said, I never met you. I never knew you. But I felt like I did. Reading about you, I felt like I connected with you blah, blah, blah. And it was just whole long thing. And if you look at the comments, there's people commenting on it, saying that they're sorry for the person that was writing the, not even an article, it was just like a post that wrote the post. They're saying, oh, I'm so sorry that you're, that you're feeling this way or that you're going through this. And it's, I just thought it was gross like just a gross way to behave and just a a disgusting way to perceive other people's issues. Um, Just like even talking about it now, like I feel gross saying it is, oh, I, I didn't know you. I never met you. I never knew about you. But when I read this, I was just in pain. And when I was reading about you, I felt like I knew you. I just think that's very gross and just very disingenuous and just, oh, what's, man, what's a way that I can make this about me? Like when, um, what's her name? Um, the, the whole Gabby Petito thing was going on and people were saying that they like related to her and that they understood what was going on. And then all these people on the internet were trying to like figure out the crime and where the boyfriend was and everything. And so now another layer of this is that for Chesley Christ is people on TikTok are now trying to figure out if there was more to her story than just a suicide. Was it a suicide? Uh, And I I saw, I got to find it. Um... I mean, because it just really painted the picture. 
Um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I can never find stuff when I'm looking for it. You think that once in a while I would come prepared for this, but I like to be original. Oh, man. Where is it? Come on. I know what it is. I just want to read it. Um, is it likes? Did I like it? Um, oh, here we go. Okay, so this is a tweet from Madison Malone Kircher. I don't know what any other things... I, I don't know who it is. I just... The tweet was good. Uh, TikTok has started putting the videos from Chesley Christ's final days on my For You page, but even more jarring are the many comments from people trying to turn her tragic death into the latest true crime mystery. Someone posted in the comments, anyone else just looking for clues? Someone said, yes, with five S's. Something just seems off, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Um... TikTok's algorithm, like most, isn't designed to understand grief that an increase in well-intentioned people watching these videos and mourning means the videos will subsequently be pushed to even more people engaging with them until the comment section looks like this. Let's read some more comments. I still can't believe it. RIP. Are they sure, in all caps, she wasn't pushed? I just can't believe it. There needs to be a full investigation on what really happened because something isn't adding up, dot, dot. She truly seemed happy and full of life. Need we mention Robin Williams also committed suicide? The man was one of the greatest comedians. Um, The fact that she is still making content makes me hope they do a full investigation. I just think she would have gotten distant or inconsistent. I don't know. Not true. I believe something isn't right here. She had a pile of new clothes to wash. She wasn't trying to die. Something doesn't seem right, y'all. Does this look like someone who wanted to leave? She left a note. Just stop it and show some respect. Thank you. Oh, really? Exclamation. And then anyone could have left the note. In 2022, an internet footprint is a critical to remembering a person as a newspaper obituary. Might have been 100 years ago. The question is if slash how digital spaces are going to evolve to make sure the data we leave behind is used respectfully. Um, and I mean, uh, it's just so gross, man, that I blame euphoria. Um, I, I mean, while there's a lot to unfold when it comes to someone's mental illness, what's the cause of someone's depression um, or multiple causes. Um, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, you know, on a case-by-case basis. But it is just disgusting how people will jump on any possible train that they can to wiggle their way into making a situation about them when it has nothing to do with them and in reality doesn't affect them at all. Um, And to say that you felt like you knew someone that you had never heard of 
because you wanted to be relatable and have people pity you and feel bad for you. I mean, that's who we should really be kicking off the internet is people that do stuff like that, that just have nothing to offer when it comes to words. That's just really sad. Um, but, you know, again, it's awful what happened. Um, and, you know, all the people doing this stuff, it's incredibly disrespectful to her and her family and people that knew her. Um, but, you know, that's one of the many plagues of social media is, you know, everyone has a voice. Um, and some people don't really know what to do with it. So they just kind of do everything that they, they want to with it. Um, yeah. So glad we can end on a high note. Um, I think I have to go out and clean up more snow. Um, yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. Oh, um, most recently, just to close with some housekeeping, I, um, eh, fuck it. You know what? I'll just find it and read it because it kind of goes along with what we talked about. Um, so I redid my website. It's still the same. Ethan Kern dot co, not com, but co. Um, and I just made it really simple, folks. There's four cubes on the page, one for the blog, one for the podcast that you're listening to right now, one for my bookshelf, which is just a list of stuff, not photos, um, just so it loads quicker, and a new page that's journal excerpts. That's it. That's all that's on there. There's an about in the top right and a contact button. If you want to take a look at it, send me a DM and say that you think it looks boring. I would appreciate it. It's ethankern.co, but what I was going to do right now, um, I had read something really brief when I recorded with Pat the last time um, because it was relevant to what we were talking about, and it's also kind of relevant now with the whole Iowa thing and the, the mouse book ban in Tennessee thing, so I just figure, fuck it, I'll read it really quick. Um, Maybe it's like a 10-minute read. Who knows? We'll see. Um, this was a paper that I uploaded um, for the end of my social psych class last semester. Um, and we could just kind of pick any social issue that we wanted to address. Um, so I chose to do... Well, I was doing one thing. Um, and then like all in the same week that the paper was due or the week before it was due. Um, I requested to do something different. My teacher was like, yeah, sure. It sounds cool. You know, best of luck with the few days that you have left to do it. So the title was called parents, politicians, and a new wave of influence on educational institutions. Um, Abstract. A recent and shocking movement has seemed to take place in American politics. Parental involvement at schools has increased greatly due to mask mandates from the COVID-19 pandemic, which is bringing political bias to the forefront of most arguments that we're hearing today. 
and this more widespread involvement, another variable is coming to play that has parents concerned that their children are being, quote unquote, indoctrinated into an ideology or that they're being groomed to live certain lifestyles. The initial attractor to this controversy was something called critical race theory, which, just to keep it short, I'll call CRT for the rest of this, bringing into question every single detail of some local district's educational practices. There's an abundance of misunderstandings surrounding the structures of the educational system in various localities, but politicians are playing on the abundance of misunderstanding to gain a disingenuous support from voters that are concerned about a new selection of perceived problems. As we know... The U.S. has become highly polarized during the curse, course, <laughs> curse, course of the 2020 election, as well as the pandemic, and there are a number of variables that require attention in order to be able to make sense of things and make rational progress. Parents, politicians, and a new wave of influence on educational institutions. There are a number, incredible number of issues involving K-12 education that politicians are looking at in order to gain support. And man, oh man, if this Tennessee, Iowa stuff would have happened just a few weeks ago, I could have added maybe four more pages to this paper. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City recently proposed the removal of gifted and talented programs for students, dampening the incentive to perform at an individual's optimal level in hopes to curb what is criticized by Eliza Shapiro from the New York Times as, quote, an exacerbating form of segregation in the nation's largest school system, but this is just one small and, in my opinion, trivial change that is being overlooked at schools across the country, at and schools across the country. With the recent polarization of politics and for some possessing of a widely critical image of the government resulting from what some believe to be an illegitimate 2020 election, as well as a, brief, as well as a belief that the, the pandemic is not a real occurrence, we find that there are certain groups that are now moving to what is the most sensitive and controversial environment of them all, our schools and the children in them. Uh, topics in question. For the sake of transparency, I'm not biased towards any political party. When I look at an idea or situation, I look at it for what it is rather than who or what is presenting it. I try to look for reason. However, again, with no bias, this does seem to be a string of controversy largely tied to a conservative ideological movement. As mentioned, CRT is looked at as the first domino to fall and what rapid is what rapidly is looking to be a cultural battle for the ages, what in reality is a decades-old theory in law that observes race as not just a case-by-case -case issue, but rather something that is in a broad sense ingrained into institutions and even society itself. Aside from law, the application of general education is a hope that just maybe this hundreds of years of racial tension can be suppressed. Wait a minute, I lost my words. Aside from law... The application to general education is a hope that just maybe this hundreds of years of racial tension can be suppressed. Okay, it makes sense. Th this is my first time reading this through. <laughs> I never proofread it. A simple request in my belief, what parents choose to do in their homes is within their right, but I think most reasonable people would come to the consensus that racism is bad and perhaps children or teens should be taught the basic psychology, history, and consequences surrounding it. One of our other topics in question, which came about as a result of this more critical look at schools, is that of the removal of any material related to what is being referred to as, quote, pornographic or obscene material, quote. This is, uh, this to someone my age is presented in a significantly more dramatic way than it realistically needs to be. This story comes from Texas Governor Greg Abbott. What comes with this story is a proposal for 850 books to be removed from Texas schools that have any depictions or presence of with 
or presence of who revolves around quite which revolves ah it's a typo uh has any depictions or presence of which revolves around quite an extensive list of topics and this is a quote from the article uh, human sexuality sexually transmitted diseases or hiv or aids sexually explicit images graphic presentations of sexual behavior that's in violation of the law or contain material that might make students feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of their race or sex, or convey that a student by virtue of their race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. That's the stuff that they were trying to ban in Texas. Uh, these issues have gained wide conservative support, most recently that support being the determinant of the Virginia gubernatorial election between Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe, where Youngkin promised voters that he would ban CRTs in, in schools, which, funny enough, isn't formally taught in K-12 schools. There are multiple components to what creates and then feeds these issues, so let's take a closer look. Uh, analyzing narcissism. Narcissism is defined as a personality trait characterized by overly high self-esteem, self-admiration, and self-centeredness. Now in a world where reason is the most important ingredient, we can safely say that not all of this influence is derived from narcissism, but we can justify saying that it is included. We can't even say that narcissism applies to only one or the other when it comes to political parties, as both sides have their own unique forms of it. The component of narcissism that I'm interested in is the self-assuredness. In Dallas, Texas, on November 2nd, 2021, hundreds of people from the far-right group called QAnon gathered to welcome and celebrate the return of John F. Kennedy Jr. The only problem being, John F. Kennedy Jr. died in 1999. I can't find a strategic way to look at the situation without sounding judgmental, and given the circumstances, I think that an acceptable line can be drawn in the sand. Applying the logic of the narcissist to politics creates an environment of one-sidedness, which we know can't successfully exist in politics. Narcissism doesn't treat people in friendships well, and it doesn't aid in the longevity of a healthy marriage, so I don't see how we can find room to squeeze it into our high-stakes game of politics. The problem is, in this case, is that the political narcissism is abundant, which leads us to our next observation. Um, mass acceptance and creating social identity. Some evolutionary scholars believe a link between the discovery of fire, the shortening of the human intestinal tract, and the growth of the brain. Both the large intestines and the brain consume an incredible amount of energy from the human body. And the theory is when man began to cook food over a fire, it was easier to eat and digest, and the brain grew as a result of that lessened digestive dilemma. Chimpanzees spend up to five hours a day chewing raw fruits, fruits and vegetables, where humans take just around an hour. If I may jump to the punchline, we've evolved our brains and then weaken their processing power with the advent of politics. Uh, I refer to, okay, I, I refer back to Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote Sapiens. That was who I got the initial piece of information from there about the, the, the tummy and the, the brain. Uh, we've evolved our brains and then weakened, blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, refer back to Harari, who writes that the secret to the success of ancient empires was the creation of myths. These myths could be referred to as mythology, religion, storytelling, and populations of people existed through the beliefs of these myths. If I wouldn't have mentioned ancient empires, one may think I was referring to present day. These myths change based on the demands of the society, where in a way we interpret them differently to accommodate our needs and to validate our behaviors. We operate on promise, loyalty, and emotion, and much of that is achieved through developing a social identity. 
which is defined as the positive emotions that we experience as a member of an important social group. Kind of obvious, but had to include some definitions in there just to make the grade. Call yourself a Democrat, call yourself a Republican, that's fine, but not when it defines our behavior and existence, which it in this day and age is, which is unfortunate and gross. There's a feeling of belonging, a feeling that the truth is not yet known by all, but by a select few that believes it can lead us to some sort of utopia, and it's very difficult to discuss as the waters are getting harder to navigate. Attitude is the reason why. <sighs> Attitudes developed by misinformed schemas. A schema is a segment of knowledge that is built around an understanding of a person or group. An attitude is a segment of knowledge that involves our liking or disliking of a person, thing, or group. These concepts of knowledge sound simple, but they're complex and seem to be a primary driver in what is creating division between groups, both large and small today. These are the factors that determine how we interpret the world around us and the people in it. I address narcissism above, but there are a multitude of variables that contribute to this issue, and in their own way, these traits point the finger at all sides of the current socio-political climate. <clears throat> which according to Peterson means everything. Impressionability, egoism, in-group favoritism, psychological reactants can all have their own papers written in regards to our issues of division and divisiveness, but they are, but they all, that's another typo. Why, why did I, why, why didn't he? Okay. Uh, but they all play a role in the issue of how we accept and disregard information and the ways in which we respond. A statement that could be made that can't be challenged by anyone is that politics has wedged itself into all the issues that we discuss in comment sections on the internet. Another statement that can't be debated is that the politics that spawned in 2016 is the reason that everybody sees things the way they and their respective groups see them now. Some people were sold on false narratives and the rest were not, and it looks like these are the hills that we all agree to die on. This is because of the reasons listed above, narcissism, impressionability, egoism, in-group favoritism, psychological reactance, again, in their own respective translations based on the group we are speaking about. All these components have led us to develop an incredible vitriol towards the opposing party. The problem we face isn't with the issues and controversies themselves, but the way we perceive and feel about those who have contrasting philosophies based on the schemas we have placed them in and the attitudes we carry for those groups. It's not that we don't understand why someone doesn't want something taught in a school or why someone poses a differing perspective on a social issue. Disagreements are natural. It's that we believe we know why they think that way and who that makes them. There's a new desire to know other people better than we know ourselves, and it's for the manipulative purpose of proving someone wrong rather than making a case for our own arguments that we believe to be the most valid. The main reason we've fallen victim to developing these poorly structured schemas is because of the way information has appealed to us and how we feel about the individual delivering the message. To state the obvious, Trump was very good at killing two birds with one stone. One, riling up his supporters. Two, enraging everyone else. Just because a communication is effective does not mean that it's relevant. Nevertheless, there's a binary impression that's left, and one could imagine that a clown car only seems irrational if you are not, in fact, a clown. How do we find ourselves in these groups? Psychological reactance is the idea of a strong motivational state that prevents conformity. 
Refusal to conform to one thing allows for more conformity to something else. In this case, we're talking about conforming to ideas where on one hand, the ideas are, are sensible. And on the other hand, we see people waiting for a two decades gone politician to come back from the dead while also claiming the school system isn't working anymore. I envy the people who have been able to ignore all of this back and forth and what an incredible argument they're all making for the adoption of nihilism. This psychological state leads us to find others also in an effort to arbitrarily distance themselves from the things that we like, the schemas we refuse to understand. I don't hate a person. I hate the poorly formed idea that they've created. In-group favoritism is a powerful concept where we have people creating different flags to identify themselves and more intensely the ideas they support. This was kind of in reference to like the don't tread on me flags, people using, you know, Confederate flags and claiming that it's part of their heritage and all that shit. In the film V for Vendetta recently added to Texas's banned book list, which is ironic considering the story tells of a government that was wildly authoritarian over its people. The main protagonist tells the villain that ideas are bulletproof soon before his death. This goes both ways where people will believe an idea even more if it aligns with who it makes them believe they belong to. These in-groups make habit of an activity that results in what is referred to as the ultimate attribution error, where we see unconventional claims that allow one to maintain the state of favoritism. By the way, side note, um, I said 1984 earlier. The guy that played the main character in that movie, I can't remember his name, which is a shame because he's an incredible actor. He also played the um, authoritarian president or party leader in V for Vendetta, which is kind of an interesting contrast because in one movie he played the guy trying to dodge the guy that he played in the other movie. Um, not literally, but just figuratively speaking. Um Duh, duh, duh. These in-groups make habit of an activity that results in what is referred to as the ultimate attribution error, where we see unconventional claims made that allow one to maintain this state of favoritism. This is where the battle of buzzwords comes into play. Uh, I've seen people be called a communist, a socialist, and on rare occasion referred to as a Marxist for saying that they do things like support the Black Lives Matter movement or for saying we should find a way to achieve universal health care. I truly don't think people know what those labels mean, and I don't even think that they believe what they say, but they love to use them. It attracts people and creates those in-groups. Why be associated with something that you're told you should hate? Why not create the most drastic image that you can of something that you're opposed to in order to conjure up a desire for further polarization from those in your group? Uh, as mentioned, this is a difficult environment that we're in. The reason for it lies in the shaky foundation we've built on how we create schemas of entire groups rather than directly criticizing the ideas of those groups while arguing for ours. Uh, we're very binary in our delivery. It's either thoughtless or we're asking people to think critically. There's no blend. There's no tact. We just like to bang on podiums and point fingers. There's no civil way to tell someone that they speak nonsense. There's no way to directly attack nonsensical thought. There's no strategic way to do these things while also achieving any level of progress. The only way to create change is through patience and consistency, two things not seen when it comes to our values. When I think about it, much of the changes that are made that are trying to be made in schools and in politics may be because there's an underlying fear that they do not know themselves. Sorry, I read that wrong. When I think about it, much of the changes that people are trying to make in schools and in politics may be because there's an underlying fear that they do not know themselves. That's why there's such a determination to play to these in-groups 
because they provide a sense of belonging. There's a decreased desire to read and think, and rather than challenging ideas, we just want to tear down the systems that entertain the ones we do not agree with on a superficial, non-contextual level. There's a principle of spontaneous message processing and thoughtful message processing. The first concept says that we accept persuasive attempts because they appeal to what is most obvious or enjoyable to us, rather than focusing on the entirety of the message being delivered. The latter says that we carefully consider whether these attempts at persuasion are valid or invalid. People who talk a lot don't have much to say that is of substance. What they're trying to do is persuade. If there's a way that we could reiterate how the innovative and thoughtful minds of past generations have gotten us to where we are now, maybe we could convince thought leaders to truly analyze their philosophies philosophies, and persuade their audiences the way they previously did that things require a different level of analysis than before. This is a good method of thought development that could help eliminate or at the very least suppress these narcissistic ideological tendencies in impressionable individuals, which results in the forming of egoistic in-groups. Uh, when I first learned about the jigsaw classroom concept, I was surprised at how I never realized it was something that many of the kids in my generation were exposed to in schools. We would do projects with kids who were from all different backgrounds, but it was an effort to get us to cooperate and share our experience with each other, all while completing a common goal. Uh, We need to teach children to work with not just one consistent team of people, but anyone who wants to participate or lend a hand in achieving a common goal to operate under the idea that everyone has something to offer, or else they grow up being someone that has nothing to offer. I didn't write that in the paper, but... That's how I feel. But they should also understand that adversity is human and they should be taught how to respond to adversity by being exposed to it in their educational institutions through means of debate or by brainstorming conflicts and solutions within diverse groups. Rather than teaching people what they should think, why not teach them how to think and how to do so effectively? This process is seeming to be recognized more in professional and scholarly environments, unless you live in Tennessee which or Iowa, which is good, but I think that we fail at this age to recognize the value in this idea. As schools seem to try and politicize the content that's given to children, it's important that people who can deliver messages effectively fight nonsense and encourage schools to get children to work together as much as possible. Trying to pull books and materials from libraries gives impressionable children the idea that there's only either a right or wrong thing way to think, When much like the jigsaw classroom, the variety of thought and belief should be a foundational principle taught to children as it allows them to think critically as they get older and as they experience more of the world. When we pick and choose what the world looks like, the generations we raise will not see the world as it is, but only as it has been curated by whoever made those decisions for them. I don't believe there's a true way to fix the issues we face in the short term, elections take place every few years, and as long as people are unwilling to think for themselves, we'll remain in this bad situation for a while. What I do believe in is that future generations seem to be more empathetic, which is good until you start calling yourself an empath and uh, putting stones on people when you see them in public because you think that they have bad energy. Uh, they do point a lot of fingers and make a lot of accusations, but most of them seem to listen more than shout. Again, people who have something to say never say much, and people that have nothing of worth to say always seem to be talking. And I believe eventually they'll learn that they're ignored and course correct. We could only pray. 
As technology advances and an appreciation for the old ways, paper books, travel, social science becomes more appealing to my generation and the ones after mine, it makes sense that people will learn better ways to communicate. As difficult as it is to create the picturesque 10-point plan as to how to fix these issues we have right now, people are independently working on them in their homes, schools, and communities. I remember after the video of George Floyd surfaced, there was a protest in my city that turned into some folks lighting cars on fire and graffitiing the city police department. I went there the morning after to take pictures. There was still smoke coming off the ground where the cars had melted, the pavement under them broken glass and graffiti everywhere, and there was a young couple who was walking in front of City Hall with their children, explaining everything to them. I wasn't really sure of what they were doing. Um, I don't know if they were speaking on what happened or if they were speaking on, you know, their perception of what happened and their opinions on the people that were there that night. Um, but either way, um, this is what I think. Um, where, oh, fuck, I lost my spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay, here we are. Sorry. Uh, hopefully, in this situation, they were talking about ideas, emotion, what is right and wrong, and how to think about all these things. Um, and I'd like to think that it made me hopeful. My wife and I don't have children, but I constantly think about how we will raise them, what we can teach them outside of school, what we can do to benefit them, and the types of people they may encounter in their lives. Uh, There's a distaste toward the idea of change, and it's hard to get someone to accept that the world is changing if they refuse to want to understand the changes. But we can't continue on this road as a country for much longer. Being 25 years old, I can't believe that we're debating things like education, literature, sexual preference, and which religion we're going to shove down a child's throat. But these are disbeliefs that I can't talk about with anyone, that I can talk about with anyone. And I can make an argument that supports a belief for all that seems good or bad in these things. The only true and practical solution for the issues we face currently is communication. We simply need to learn and educate ourselves and others as to how we can communicate effectively and honestly and what the consequences are of being disingenuous. Socrates hated democracy. He believed that the ability to vote was not a right, but rather a fine skill. This skill is in the hands of the people. We experience incompetent politicians and speakers because they are selected. The government we have is the government we deserve. It is a direct representation of its people. The change begins with people and how effectively they can communicate ideas not to the people who already agree with them, but to those who viciously fight back against them. And I said viscously fighting back against them in my paper. A lot of typos here, my lord. Change begins with people and how effectively they can communicate ideas, not to the people who already agree with them, but those who viciously fight back against them. Uh, A little homework there for you. Okay. Um, So yeah, there's that. Um, I'm going to go now. I think I'll go now. (sighs) Because I have to... uh, Yeah, I got to go snowblow again. Okay. Um, Stay warm. you know, and uh, make sure you're staying hydrated. Uh, read a book and, uh, I don't know, enjoy the football, whatever. Go Bengals. 
Um, yeah. Bye-bye.